Attention. Attention pause. Gather around for the employment announcement. From the Washington State Employment Security Department for immediate release. Important. The job search requirement is going back into effect in July. Begin job search activities the week of July 4th through July 10th. Start reporting activities the week of July 11. You have three seconds to find a job. Three, two, one. Welcome to Mechanical Freak. We're broadcasting live from the rafters of Climate Pledge Arena in sunny Seattle, Washington, that city of the future on the bleeding edge, neoliberal dystopia. Today, where below us, Mayor Jenny Durkin glides across the ice, flailing her tentacles for stability, gnashing her beak in frustration as she practices her new role as the mascot of the Seattle Kraken. That's right. It's Mechanical Freak. Munya, Brian, Greg, and myself, Colin, are here. And what a show we have for you today. So if you didn't understand what we were talking about, uh, it sounds like... Party's um, over, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to ship up and shape out or shape up and ship out. I don't know what it is. <sighs> Got to get a job, you fucking shiftless losers. Mm, <laughs> boo. Uh, so the long-awaited return of the job search requirement for unemployment in Washington State is coming back, everybody. Uh, sort of one of the pillars since, you know, uh, welfare reform of unemployment benefits is that you have to show that you're diligently looking for a job uh, any week that you want to claim benefits because, you know, the idea that you could just be, you know, coasting <laughs> on your benefits is anathema to the American system. So, uh, of course, that was supposedly suspended. But, uh, but Greg, that doesn't make sense because when I file for my unemployment, it asks me if I've applied for three jobs this week. Yeah, this shit is such fucking bullshit. So early on in the pandemic, the uh, Employment Security Department, you know, the Inslee's, uh, said, you know, waived in a gubernatorial proclamation, uh, waived the requirement for searching for a job. You know, owing to the fact that, like, everyone was getting laid off, like, there weren't jobs. The idea they want, the idea of locking down was like fewer people going to work. We didn't do this very well. Like, so that just meant laying people off and letting the unemployment uh, system theoretically catch them. So they did waive this requirement. But this whole fucking time, every week you go, yeah, it says to you, the, the page comes up as you're filing every week. Uh, now's the time to report your job search activities. You must report three job search activities to be eligible for whatever. And even when you try to skip it, a pop-up literally comes up and says, you must report three job search activities or you may be disqualified from earning benefits. What's funny about this is, up until like two years ago, you didn't have to actually report your job searches in weekly time online, you could just skip it. Mm -hmm. You were just legally required to keep your own log 
that you could that you were required to produce at any time employment security asked for it if they ever asked you later on like well, who, what were your job search activities this week but you could literally skip up until two two years ago or so you could literally hit skip and i always did because i'm yeah. lazy i would keep it in my own form uh but you could hit skip on this page uh and it would go to the next one and it wouldn't and it would be fine and you'd get your money but they instituted like a, you know, sometime in the last two years that, you know, you have to input your job search requirements every week into the system. Uh, and keep that in mind when you ponder that even though Inslee suspended the requirement, they left this shit in there. They left it. So this whole time for the last year plus when supposedly you haven't had to be searching for a job, every single person in Washington state who has applied for benefits weekly has been asked for these three job search requirements has been told over and over again, you have to do this or you don't get your benefits or you can be disqualified, blah, blah, blah. I fucking, and God, uh, how this doesn't make you angry. I understand. I actually, I, what this, that tweet I read from about this going into effect, I, I responded to, it, I was like, uh, why has the website always, it's not like I didn't know this. Like I, I know, but I've been doing it all along anyway, because I don't trust them. I, mm. I feel like at some point they're going to look to kick people off. And I've just been reporting job search, job searches the whole time. I've been searching for jobs the whole time. It doesn't take a lot of effort to do. You just have to like make some contact with some theoretical employer. Damn. Greg and log people it. on unemployment are lazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, and yeah, you're not going to get that job because no one's hiring. But, and I was making myself available for work uh, the whole time. You know, the few times that jobs did come up during the pandemic, I fucking took them, you know? Um, some, but like, uh, this, this dork fucking replies to me like, uh, you know, if you read the alerts, they have said since March of last year to answer the question, no, uh, for your job search. Uh, but you know, blah, blah, blah. Like literally telling me like, uh, there was, a, there was an email that said you don't have to, <laughs> I, I just imagine like, just how do you not? get the distinct impression that they want to discourage people. I mean, this sounds stupid saying, of course, they want to discourage people from doing this. They want to get people confused. They want to see, uh, I mean, you are like committing fucking fraud either way. Like, like mm. it's what it, it gives you the impression. Like when you do it, it's just so fucking aggravating. But the point is that's in the past. Now, like I said, I've been doing it all along. I've been doing job searches. Uh, the thing is, that's coming back. For those of you who this was your first adventure on unemployment, now the real days are here. Uh, maybe you followed my advice and you were always doing job search logs just for the fuck of it, um, just because you don't trust uh, ESD. But now the this is this is the real deal. And here's the thing: it's very simple. You just have to like make something that you could claim in a court of law and on a form. Uh, was a job search so some activity you know there's a little drop down menu if you haven't done it yet it's like did you do this in person on the phone by email and you just have to have the relevant information so for me a lot of times that's just reaching out to the people who i who theoretically have at times employed me and shooting them a message and i go like hey you got any jobs 
and then, yeah. then I write down the date that I did that and I log it the next week when I do my thing. Or, you know, I, I used to just apply for random vaguely related to my industry jobs on Craigslist that I just would never hear back from because mm-hmm. why would you? Um, my favorite was back in 2009 when I was unemployed was applying at American Apparel because you used to have to submit a headshot to apply there. Oof. And so I just apply there like every week because <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, there's no jobs I actually want to take. So here's one that definitely <laughs> will not call back. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell him the ESD that working for Dove Charney is actually uh, my dream job. Yep. <laughs> I don't want any other job. So, you know, that that brings up like the question, like, can you just rep- apply to the same place every week? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Uh, so I wouldn't do it. But, you know. Uh, I, I did get audited multiple times in 2009 and, and they seemed to not care. But I mean, you know, this is the thing about all this kind of shit is they didn't care yes. in that audit in that moment. Yes. You know, and that's what it always comes down to. And that, and that's if the they want to make a, a fight out of something, they will. Right. That's the thing. What you need to do is make sure you are following the rules and cut. Co- and but think of it as, you know, covering your ass, making sure you're doing what you need to get that stuff. But the bar is pretty low because it's just like a theoretical thing that is designed to show, look, we can still have unemployment benefits in America because we demand that people look for work. And the other thing is, and because it will discourage people because all the hoops you have to jump through, this is just one of them will discourage people from getting them. But if you just do those and then you, uh, Keep track of it, and yeah, if you ever do get audited, just make sure you tell them the same thing you told them when you filled out the form. Unemployment, there's there's all sorts of like goofy shit in that fucking application. If you are like me and you exist in a quantum state where you're both an employee and a contract laborer, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know you have to fill out a reasonable assurance of employment form, where they'll ask you fun questions like. Uh, you know, were you fired from the institution? At which point you'll have to say no. But at the same time, then they'll ask, do you intend on going back to work for them? And of course, the answer is like, yes. But if you answer yes, your unemployment will be denied. (laughs) So for the weeks that you won't be at work, where, you know, in my case, the college is fully expecting the uh, unemployment to pick up the slack, uh, I have to basically tell them it's a yes, no question. So you have to basically be like, yes, I do not intend on returning to work, you know, at Washington State Colleges. Right. And, um, you know, for a lot of it is a system designed to deny un- to deny people. Right. It's designed yeah. to push people out who deserve it and make sure that they don't actually get it. Uh, and we talked about just recently, too, the fact that everybody during co- well, during this entire quarantine who's had a dispute with unemployment, it's taken like six, seven, eight months even just to resolve their disputes. I don't know anybody that's had a dispute resolved in a remotely timely manner. And again, this is designed to discourage people and, and get them to you know drop the dispute and stop you know pursuing their rightful unemployment, the rightful bread. They're trying to make you not get the bread. Yeah, exactly. So just, you know, if you've been coasting along all this time and you've you read the email and trusted it and have just been clicking, no, I didn't do my job search activities. And now you're thinking, ugh, this sounds really, you know, stressful and uh, like another hoop I got to jump through. Just remember that I 
I'm so intent on getting that bread every week. So fanatically devoted to collecting every possible dollar of unemployment that I have literally been doing job searches and filing them every fucking week for the last year. And hopefully that will inspire you to stick with it. Yeah, just uh, apply for the three jobs. Find three jobs uh, that you know you won't get and put them in there. Another fun one is just write to a company and ask and put an application for like CEO, you know, just like get their general application, write CEO on it and send it in. You (laughs) You know, know. you don't have to be a wise guy about it. There's Uh, plenty of jobs that you would out there that really, if you were offered them, you would take because you'd be crazy not to. And so that, you know, you shouldn't because you can't apply for something you wouldn't take. Yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to get that job. So think of it that way. <laughs> like, yeah, if they give me a CEO, I'll take it every time. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm I'm always out there looking for work. And I when it comes, I take it. Even when I'm like, I really don't want to do this. I still do it. I actually just apply for Colin's job over and over. But it's a more of a motivating factor for Colin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they keep telling me somebody really wants that job. Yeah, we're like, we actually don't think, you, yeah, you don't need that raise, actually, your job. <laughs> we can give it away in a second. Okay, I'm going to start doing <laughs> that be before lucky Munia's that. job. <laughs> we should all just start applying yeah. for each other's jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's four that's of them. successful in mindset right there, actually. Yeah. We're becoming yeah. rising grind people because we're all motivating each other by <laughs> applying for each other's jobs. The war of podcaster against podcaster is heating up. Yep. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> World War One if you think about uh, it. Yeah, instead of dog eat dog, it's pot eat pot. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian, you had a big power grid update from our favorite state of Texas. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Texas sucks update. Uh, cue the ZZ top. Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, <laughs> getting hot in Texas, guys. I don't know if you've heard. But it's hitting the mid-90s across Texas, which means that people are turning on their AC units. Except for, pause, hit the brake. Uh, that's crashing the power grid <laughs> again. <laughs> so what they're doing is modern industrialized country we live in here. Yeah, it, it. We had joked that the Texas power grid is moving towards having like the same reliability as the one in Baghdad, and it's less of a joke every day. And so. What they've been doing is asking people at various hours, assigning them hours of the day where they are to turn off all of their excess electronics, including air conditioning, washing machines, dishwashers, etc. And, you know, essentially abstain from power usage for a while to prevent rolling blackouts, although they'll probably eventually move to rolling blackouts. But the real story is that for the last year and a half in Texas, just like everywhere around the country, They've had a big push for people to uh, adopt smart meters, which they have sold to people as an environmentally conscious choice to, you know, for the 21st century. And during this uh, period of, uh, you know, the power grid struggling, what people who have purchased or not purchased, but received those smart meters have figured out is that it's actually a way for the power company to reach into your house and turn off all your electronics. Because <laughs> the smart meter is essentially, it's, a uh, you know, the meters that the legacy meters that most people have are, have to be come by. They're, mm-hmm. they're just connected to your house and nothing else. So a meter guy has to come by and literally read it to even know how much power you're using to fill you. Yeah. But the smart meters are cellular. They're on. Yeah. They're, they're, they connect to the, 
they're on the interwebs yeah. essentially, and or maybe they're on yeah on the they're electric lines or something. They run on yeah. the lines, but uh, you know, hilariously taking up room. No, but no, they're electric. But the thing that the smart meter does is it connects to particular electronics like your thermostat in your house. Yeah, and so lots of people in Texas have been finding their thermostats turned up to 85, 90 degrees <laughs> uh, in the middle of the first heat wave of summer. And as people pointed out, you know, when you have like, you know, like an infant in your house or something like that, uh, usually cooking them in a, like a dry air oven <laughs> is not a good recipe for air childhood success. Baby. Yeah, air well, frying they, your baby. They love baby back ribs down there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, more to come on this story in the future because let me tell you, uh, mid-90s is nothing in oh, a yeah. Texas summer. Yeah. And it's going to get real fucking hot this <laughs> summer. And I look for... If this power grid is already on the verge of collapse, uh, which another update, they have done nothing to fix it <laughs> since the previous collapse. So if it's already on the verge of breaking, could be a long, hot summer in Texas. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep up with that. Wow. Communist Texas, everybody. <laughs> That's a big government. Run amok. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to the other coast for a New York minute from Munya, our good, beloved mayoral candidate friend, Andrew Yang, who has taken a bold stand for human rights. Yeah. Um, so Andrew Yang um, at a debate um, made a really old and honestly quite uh, familiar to us here in Seattle um, claim about the mentally ill uh, people that he encounters on the street. And you would think, you know, a mayoral candidate would have maybe a positive message, maybe a heartfelt story. But I think we are actually a part of a broader movement to basically say we are returning to the 90s now. And we're now having like a grunge revival. The clout, <laughs> clout goggles are on. And we're now just straight up like tough on crime Democrats um, who who are, are openly um, saying that like uh, mentally ill people and, or mentally ill things and people are two different things. Like mm -hmm. me and everyone else are people and humans, mentally ill people are going to attack you like rabid dogs. Um, and we have rights too. Yes, mentally ill people have rights, but you know who else have rights? We do. The people and families of the city. We have the right to walk the street and not fear for our safety because a mentally ill person is going to lash out at us. We, the human beings. Look, Greg, there's the rights of the homeless and then there's human rights. <laughs> All right. And the, yeah, the, the, that's the message. Yeah, and these rights have to be, uh, they're in conflict, and we got to find a proper balance. And of course, the balance is uh, sweeping the homeless away. And big government needs to finally care about human rights instead yeah. of just mentally ill rights. It's about time the people of uh, the Upper West Side in Manhattan had a voice in New York politics. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm just happy to see Andrew Yang bringing that voice. I mean, finally, all of these all of these fake uh, politicians, you know, they they pretend to care about these other neighborhoods, and Andrew <laughs> Yang just says it. And, yeah, you know, you don't hear the Upper West Side coming out of all these other politicians who try to represent everyone, but Andrew <laughs> Yang's out there repping. What? 
East Harlem and the Upper West Side of Manhattan. <laughs> the fact is mentally ill uh, homeless men are changing the character of our neighborhoods. Uh, a woman, uh, my, my wife Ellen is friends with in her mom group in Hell's Kitchen, was punched in the face by a mentally ill man. Sent a picture of a bruised face around the mom group, spread like wildfire. This is happening in New York City, and we're not talking enough about it. Families are leaving as a result. In East Harlem, the neighborhood has been changed. Upper West Side, the neighborhood has been changed. <laughs> we don't know what those places are. <laughs> <laughs> well, dear listener, the Upper West Side is probably... Um, houses some of the richest people in the country, I would yeah. say. Um, yeah. you'll probably find like Robert De Niro there, like a lot of you know, actors, a lot of finance people. <laughs> um, you're kind of near Central Park, um, or right on Central Park. Um, yeah, it's a pretty sweet extremely dicks. bougie, rich. Yeah, one of the wealthiest areas in the country. It's extremely, extremely wealthy. Yeah, you'll hear in a lot of like films and TV shows, they'll talk aspirationally about moving to the Upper West Side. Or if you want to have a conflict with your characters who are uh, striving millionaires, they'll talk about their uh, failing ability to get an apartment in the Upper West Side or they're you know, not getting the correct apartment in the Upper West Side. You know, it comes up a lot. I mean, it, it literally is even just a cultural sign and like writing of uh, the most wealthy people in the wealthiest. It, right. You, we can joke about it, but it's this, you know, this is like exterminationist language. Like, of course, the, the fucking character of the neighborhoods have changed when you have fucking thousands of people who fucking can't take care of themselves and have no fucking home. Of course, they fucking changed. Fuck you, you piece of shit. You should be someone should put this guy out on the street and. That should be his fucking punishment for even fucking saying shit like that. I mean, it was genuinely shocking. You know, we we have human rights. We have rights too, like a right to live a normal life. Fuck you. No, you don't. Yeah, right. Like that. That's the stuff that's just been like really not okay to say for like twenty years. Even like in like mainstream democratic politics, like it really felt like I was looking, like listening to like an archival clip from the nineties or something. You know, like um, well, he's he just. I mean, they'll say it, it's just like the the words he chose exactly the way he did because he's he's kind of a fucking moron. You know, when he says like when he, he like it's the wrong time to deploy rights language is really like. <laughs> Uh, the only sort of like transgression outside of like normal like democratic bullshit because they have like more savvy fucking ways to talk about being like to dog whistle being like progressives who are actually want to like you know get the cops to rouse the homeless out but like yeah he just said it very ham-fistedly and very nakedly but I mean that's what they all think you know well yeah and I think that there's a couple of things I mean one is I think you're seeing a return to a very traditional uh, language of property owner as citizen in America, right? Yeah. And it getting just more naked with time as the you know inequality crisis gets worse. The other, you know, as Munya mentioned early, leading this off, this return to the 90s, I mean, I think the most likely scenario is that we're returning to a new era of tough-on-crime politics but instead of targeting super predator black youth, right? Yeah. This it's going to target the homeless. And part of what is terrifying about that is not that it was good or that anything good happened from targeting the black community, but the black community does have because of the history of this country and stuff, 
at least some identity solidarity and some social and political solidarity and mm-hmm. could, you know, even though it was inadequate, pose some sort of fight back to the tough on crime narratives or of the 80s have and 90s. A community to rely on, yeah, at least within itself. Yeah, whereas the homeless, I mean, you know, when the homeless are targeted, they don't have a community. There's nothing. And right? certainly the people who are actually mentally ill who are on the street. Obviously, like, there's a conflation going on here that is about uh, tagging everyone who's on the street as addicted or yeah. schizophrenic. Pathologizing to, them. Right. Yeah. Pathologizing homelessness because you can't talk about it as a fucking basic economic issue of living costs skyrocketing and no being, nobody being able to support themselves. But uh, certainly, like, yeah, you know, it, that's what it means to be homeless. You're being fucking exited from a community. But if you're also, but, you know, also, if the target here is going to be people uh, with, a, you know, struggling through addiction or mental health problems, like, I mean, you know, those people aren't going to have any c- kind of community to fall back on. Yeah, and I mean, this is what was scary about, you know, not that anybody watched it other than us and like people in Bellevue, but what was so scary about Seattle is dying is in the end where they spend the whole last third essentially proposing an island concentration camp for the homeless. It was so naked and out there. And it was sort of this reminder that really the only thing that prevents essentially just putting the homeless in a concentration camp in this country is the thinnest layer of like civil decency Mm -hmm. (laughs) in uh, hoping that that can withstand the pressure of a giant tough on crime, you know, push. Uh, It's, it's really scary. And there has always been a idea in this country that the homeless are a non human or subhuman species that you can do whatever you want to. And uh, it's it's mildly terrifying seeing all this rhetoric really start to pick up. Um, well, and to see a sort of just empty husk like Andrew Yang, who will who's just just a Silicon Valley idiot who will like be blown whatever way like a breeze takes him and came into sort of politics with just the thinnest like layer of like Silicon Valley bullshit ideas like that he's being told and that he's buying like, this is the way to go. I mean, that's a signal for the future in some way. Right. Like yeah. this is like what, I mean, what's it like there Munia? Like what, I mean, is there any sense of like, I mean, I, I imagine this is landing with a lot of New Yorkers, right. Who are maybe confused about like who Andrew Yang was to begin with, but maybe you're now like, Oh, he's a guy are thinking, Oh, he's a guy who's going to clean up the, uh, the filth. I mean, am I am I wrong? Do people? I so you know. Again, I I I don't want to pretend like I'm just like so tapped in and know. Oh, you're our like, New York guy now. Whatever you say is but, correct. It, yeah, I agree. I think whatever I say in general is correct. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, like, coming from Seattle to New York has honestly. I I would go as far to say as that I don't I the visible and I and I really emphasize this visible homelessness um has gone down by ninety five percent from being in Seattle because the thing is, is like there's actual public housing here like yeah. they 
whether these public housing was built during like, you know, the middle of the 20th century, right? Like after like the post-war boom and everything, like New York actually has like functioning public housing. And I live next to um, a lot of it and I see the effects of it. And I mean, like I, I, there's not to me, like walking around at least like the places that I am, um, there's no presence of like tent cities. Um, there's yeah. no, there, you, I, it, there will be, you know, one or two homeless people around, like, you know, maybe on the subway asking for money, but it is absolutely not a common occurrence. And it really opened my eyes to just how crazy Seattle is with, um, they're dealing with a lack of action with their most vulnerable in the community. And like New York to me has kind of proven that, the direct correlation between homelessness is not this pathologizing, um, you know, mental illness or anything like that. In fact, mental illness is just created by the conditions of homelessness in many cases. Yeah. But to solve that, you could really just need to house people. And, you know, the biggest city in the U.S. is able to do that to the point where I, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, it blows me away how like little... And I think, you know, of course, coming from Seattle, maybe maybe it might be drawing for someone coming from a place that has zero homelessness. But to me, I, I truly, I might be walking around New York all day and maybe um, not see one. I definitely not see like a huge presence like you do in San Francisco and Seattle, right? And LA. The big, and LA. And the big difference is, is that New York actually has functioning public housing that is um, ran for low income. Uh, people and it's actually a ro- robust system. And I'm sure it has its problems, you know. And I'm sure, like you know, once you look into anything, um, big <laughs> cities do, you know, are kind of like, wow, that's really fucked how they do that, right? But um, you know, the infrastructure and actual housing is there, and so despite it being a city that is maybe ten times as big as Seattle, um, just in the city limits alone. Um, the nominal amount of homeless people I see is like, we're just way lower. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but also I don't really sense a hostility and attitude uh, like I do in Seattle either towards that as well. And this is, Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's why I was even equally as shocked is because like Andrew Yang is basically saying like the mask off Seattle take, which has purchased in Seattle because Seattle doesn't do shit and pits, you know, a really big issue but um you know i see even more solidarity with uh, people who do ask um in new york too you know like people carry cash in new york which you know are techno seattleites do not and also do not really (laughs) yeah but you know like it's common to just give them you know a couple bucks here and there too i see it constantly uh way more than i do in seattle so yeah wow i don't know the left politics and humanity generally are much higher in uh, New York than in Seattle. Um, and there's like a lot of historical reasons for that. But I think one of the other reasons is the density of the city itself, which has helped to keep social networks and things like that alive. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I mean that and the number of accidental homeowner or accidental millionaires due to home ownership, I think is uh, a touch lower. <laughs> In New York City, yeah, than this fucking god awful town, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah really you know, suck. like actual working class people live in New York mm-hmm. still, yeah, like, yeah, um, and in Seattle is kind of becoming this or has become already this, 
thing of like if you you have to really be rich to even live in the city and if you're mm-hmm. you know working class and can't afford to live in Seattle you still need them to be in Seattle they're coming from you know Tacoma they're coming from all over the place yeah. right to yeah. drive in and then say get the fuck out but in New York there's like actual you know, working class people who live in accessible neighborhoods like in the city um, yeah You'll see like uh, construction no, workers think, on the no, subway. Yeah, right, right. And like no no credit or no thanks to like, you know, any like, you know, uh, private house, housing market, right? It's mostly, I would suspect, just visually like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, due to um, good city planning with, with kind of like a diversity of um, you know, public housing that's not just concentrated in like just one area, which then would be deemed to be like the, you know, yeah, the poor like area the projects. Right. And like yeah. it's like all over Brooklyn and it's all over Manhattan and it's in like really like nice uh, areas in Manhattan that are like fun to be around, too. Um, and, but even like even communities, even outside of just public housing. Right. Like there's still, you know, working class people who like will own homes in Bushwick. Right. Or at least right. like rent out places in Bushwick there's a huge um, well the you know, persistence of rent control uh, Dominican Republic and yeah right there's actual rent control there too yeah. um which if you can get a rent controlled place I mean it's really great so um yeah I mean I'm just I'm seeing like the actual effects of like what happens when a, a city or state government actually wields its power and does something about it which we've been convinced in Seattle that it's just not ever possible and nothing uh, can happen. And this is just too complex of a system. There's no way we can intervene. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> New York has all of those things. They have public housing, they have rent control, they have different, you know, transit units, which like, you know, actually yeah. create a diversity and, you know, have people who don't just like work in one specific field who make six figures to <laughs> live in that city too. Um, yeah. Which I think makes it, on a personal level, interesting, but also just on a human level, you know, uh, a lot better. So it's a pleasant surprise to be honest. Yeah. For real. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think the, the main moral of the story is fuck Andrew Yang, that piece of shit. I don't know. Is that really going to turn anybody off? I don't know. But I mean, if he tries to, who knows, maybe he gets elected mayor of New York. Maybe if we're lucky, he actually if if america's lucky he will get elected mayor of new york because no one who's ever been elected mayor of new york has ever held any other office after that i think <laughs> so uh that would probably be best for the rest of us if you guys would all just take one for the team thanks munia <laughs> <laughs> it's like being mayor of la it's a death sentence <laughs> yeah i mean yeah worse i mean yep. like you're just you're a national punching bag as, as a, you're like a stand in for all national mayors and what, and like you're just there to be hated. You yeah. Know? Absurd to run for president, uh, having been mayor of New York. It's, ne- it's never worked. Um, it never will. People keep trying to do it, but it, you know, Giuliani's still well, got time. Well, and, and <laughs> just on an, on like just electoral politics level, like this is the first time, um, New York is implementing ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer, wait, first wait is that today, the right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's tomorrow, like the yeah. election day. But, so that's um, for the primary, been, right? 
Yeah, yeah, the Democratic right. primary. Well, I guess we're going to know probably, by, you know, shortly after this episode comes out, we'll we'll know yeah. who made it through the primary. Then. Yeah, and Munya mailed us all of his neighbor's ballots, so we're all filling them out right now, yep. and we're going to send mm-hmm. them in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, any subscribers, we do need your help um, filling out these ballots. <laughs> yeah, so, we got a lot uh, of them. <laughs> with, and you got to, like, kind of guess their signature a little bit, but, oh. you know. Well, you'll have to keep us up to date on how this uh, rank choice voting works out for everybody in New York. I assume, well, uh, we like, know, we know we know how it's going to happen because we have the majority of ballots in New York. So, oh, cool! <laughs> so we kind of get we we know what the outcome's going to be. We get be. to call the call the play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll let everybody know uh, what happens with the wink voters of New York and who they choose. <laughs> It would be kind of awkward if it is Eric Adams, and then now it's implied that the Mechanical Freak podcast um, rigged the election that, to yeah. elect, uh, uh, you know, elect a black NYPD tough on mm-hmm. crime guy. Who's yeah, like well, first in the polls right now. We're also ready for these streets to be cleaned up. So uh. yeah, it's about time. <laughs> it's Honestly, like Greg's evolution with like boomer mid-century, like classic rock. <laughs> Yeah, we um, we also believe that it's about time that NYPD uh, got tough on the on the poor communities of New York. They yeah. they've been being too easy on them over these years. Yeah, yeah. Know, Andrew Yang I mean. should set his sights a little lower and come run for mayor of Seattle. I think he, he probably could, win. He could win. Like he would win in a landslide if he ran on that platform in Seattle. Like that's like. <laughs> At his part, um, he would run on a platform he, of math is cool and science fucking rocks, and yeah, kill no, the homeless. He'd be the I fucking win. love science candidate, mm-hmm. and also I am going to uh, do a whole <laughs> genocide on yeah. the homeless population, <laughs> and I'm going to use science to make the homeless disappear. Yeah, I, I fucking love science, especially the calipers, <laughs> race science specifically. <laughs> It's the best kind. Okay. So we've covered our countrywide news. Now it's time to look a little bit closer to home. As you know, this month is Pride. And there's some big goings on here. A big brouhaha between Capitol Hill Pride TM, which I guess (laughs) is the official one, in quotes, and other more non-official groups. Yeah, so a basic little bit of background, I guess. Probably a lot of people saw this going around because it's pretty wild. Um, Yeah, there's this big, you know, Capitol Hill Pride. We've talked about uh, the history of Pride and Capitol Hill Pride and the Mm -hmm. parade in this town before. Actually, that's a good episode we should link to where we talk to Dr. Kevin, professor of gay history. uh, yeah, he literally wrote his dissertation on this. So yeah, we'll, it, we'll link to it in the show notes. We should, uh, yeah, we'll link to that. It's a good, if you want to like get the history of like uh, gay Seattle and pride, uh, that's a pretty great episode. But uh, this came up today. So next weekend is pride. That's going to be happening on the Hill. There's of course other events going around. There's lots of other, you know, organizations and events that are put on for pride weekend. And one of them, is uh the one event is called take black pride uh sort of a pun there and the the i guess the news story of this is that um 
the people at Capitol Hill Pride uh, had a little problem with these other people trying to put on a Pride event. Um, and I don't know, I guess it would be better to hear in their own words what those problems were. Yeah, definitely. So this is a an open letter addressed from Capitol Hill Pride, uh, Charlotte Lefevre and Philip Lipson, to no less than the Seattle NAACP, the Seattle LGBTQ Commission, the Trans Women of Color Solidarity Network, and the Seattle Office for Civil Rights, and the Seattle Human Rights Commission. <laughs> wow, that sounds serious. Just like ringing the bell, blowing the horn. We got we got some shit going down here. I called up the Hall of Justice. <laughs> so it begins, Dear City of Seattle, it has come to our attention that an event title called Take Black Pride at the Jimi Hendrix Public Park, June 26th, is charging whites only admission as, re as reparations. We consider this reverse discrimination in its worst form, and we feel we are being attacked for not supporting due to disparaging and hostile emails. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't make this shit up. They probably just sent back corn cobs. <laughs> Please review this event's stated admission policy as we feel this event is violating Seattle, King County, state and federal equality laws. Okay, so before we go on, so to back up a little, yeah, t Take Black Pride is putting on this event uh, in uh, at Jimi Hendrix Park on the 26th. Um, and, you know, they have, I think, in their literature, um, stresses the need for just be able to celebrate pride in a space that's safe for queer black trans people and uh they also to put on this event want to make that uh free to black people and they're asking a, a suggested donation it sounds like for everybody else for white allies okay so that's the background we can get into that more but like let's break down some of this Again, written by the people who run uh, uh, Capitol Hill Pride, the big Seattle Pride Fest. Uh, what the quote here is, they're charging whites only admission. I mean, that just as a <laughs> phrase, you know, like where they're starting to come from. That's like you. There's something to be said about like what the politics of that event are and like how that works out. And I have something to say about that. But like you're throwing they're already like confusing this phrase whites only like as like they're trying to sounds like they're trying to throw that out to like give you images of like the segregated south or something you know <laughs> of like you know whites only lunch counters and drinking fountains and shit um it, and making that connection in a weird way we consider this reverse discrimination why is it always reverse discrimination and never just discrimination? <laughs> well, because it, it, it openly acknowledges that discrimination is really only supposed to go one way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's well, kind of a tell in a lot of ways. It's a major tell because it's a fucking dog whistle. Yeah. The whole From concept the of so. reverse discrimination is this, yeah, this 90s era. It's it's anti-civil rights. It's anti-black bullshit. Okay. It's it's. And the thing, what I love about this is this is all, com it's coming from this very like dumb 
like rich white lib place, which we can get into more about like what that means about Capitol Hill pride. But like it's it's obviously racist. Right. But like mm. it's also very dumb because uh, they're racist enough or like it's this intersection. They're racist enough to have like to know and think um, the phrase reverse discrimination is like this there this like uh phrase that will unlock something and dumb enough not to know that it sounds to fucking most people like a racist dog whistle you know yeah what i i think the key here is these two people are fucking old and uh again if you were in the 90s you know reverse discrimination was the you know, it was the reason why you had to get rid of affirmative action, yeah. right? Like it was, it was specifically targeted at affirmative action. And the idea was, uh, anything meant to ameliorate, uh, you know, discrimination in the past. Well, that was just reverse discrimination against, uh, white people or whatever. And so I think for the, their audience, yeah, this does strike a chord. Well, like they, some, like yes. their heart has a little tremor, you know, right. because it's, it's, but because it was used in that way and in this in like sort of by like semi legitimate liberal actors to talk about, you know, uh, affirmative action in the 90s that mm. way. It it became it became like a a more reactionary buzzword on the right. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so these people are showing they're steeped in it because it's a bullshit concept, as you said, Monia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, it's fucking stupid. Um, and but they're steeped in it because it's steeped in our culture from this right, this right wing reactionary racist place. And I think definitely it is gonna, yeah, resonate with a bunch of old fucking white people and white Seattle gay people. But like, also, uh, it, it's definitely like rubbing a lot of other people the wrong way, as as we will learn. Um. I mean, fucked up thing to say. Uh, and then it's so fucking funny. This so also we consider this reverse discrimination in its worse. They say worse, uh, not worst form. Wor I mean, in its worst form. I mean, again, like yes, these people are racist, but my god, they're very stupid. Like <laughs> you're really overplaying your fucking hand here. Like, I mean, I could think of worse forms. Yeah, like if if. <laughs> If you're really worried about like reverse discrimination, whatever the fuck that is, I can I can think of some discrimination against uh, black Americans by this white supremacist culture that have taken some worse fucking forms than uh, whatever the fuck they're talking about yeah. here. If you're still alive in the end, then this country has practiced a worse form than yes. whatever you just experienced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you haven't been worked and tortured to death uh so it's so good and we feel we are being attacked for not Oof. supporting due to disparaging and hostile emails I mean, someone sent emails where they told us we were old racist boomers and so now we're bringing it to the attention of the human rights commission and anyone else who will listen yeah or they just sent me back five eggplant emojis, and I feel this is terrorism. <laughs> um, just incredible shit. Um, so, like, 
then they they even try to like the last trick is like to try and convince someone to open an ethics and election investigation because they claim <laughs> what has since been shown to be totally false that someone uh with or potentially they claim is involved with this event has like it was connected to the Nikita Oliver campaign, which the campaign says is not the case. Again, they're just like pulling straws out of this shit. Lots of people have now, I guess this, they're also claiming like um, Nikita Oliver has had dropped out of their event. Basically they want to like open an election commission investigation because Nikita Oliver, a, a candidate dropped out of their, their, uh, appearing at their pride event because they didn't like this event and so like they want they think that warrants some kind of ethics investigation or something it's insane shit who knows i mean who knows Calling what the comps on 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 a black person yeah, yeah. Ex- yes well yes. i i always like to you know hit up the human rights commission once a year to uh ask for them to open an investigation on why people didn't come to my birthday yeah, <laughs> no, it's exactly yeah. that. What's funny about that is since they since this went public, since the Human Rights Commission published this, a bunch of other people, including a lot of candidates running uh, in the upcoming primary, have pulled out of appearing at Capitol Hill Pride. I mean, they're mostly like compl- they seem. Yeah, again, they're reaching out to like call for, um, you know, the reconvening of the Nuremberg trials. <laughs> uh for uh disparaging emails uh they think they're being attacked for not supporting this whatever that means um revealing themselves to be racists obviously and extremely stupid um but basically like you know what i think people who are sympathetic to this are will call out uh which is bullshit is what, you know what they'll try to find to sort of actually hang their hat on here is the complaint that is sort of buried in all this bullshit about emails and and reverse discrimination somehow being committed against them is this event take black pride uh and the fact that they're doing a sort of reparations framed thing where you know they're making space for uh queer and trans black people to come and celebrate pride that they're funding on the basis of this uh, suggested donation from white allies that they're putting a reparations frame around. And I think that's, that's going to be called out as like the real meat of this by people who are sympathetic to this bullshit. And basically I think like the, what these old boomer racist libs are saying essentially is this reparations on the basis of uh my white race thing they're trying to do in the park that i don't have to go to uh does not jive with the mid-century moderate liberal civil rights era compromises you know like (laughs) uh they're doing stuff they're 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 putting up a whites only sign in the line you pay or something they're trying to claim (laughs) like that's like you know we 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 already solved this stuff. This doesn't jive with the the new post civil rights era order where the feds made the southern crackers take down the you know segregated drinking fountains and uh, the Voting Rights Act enshrined protections that 
extended the franchise to everyone, you know, like as our founding fathers uh, secretly intended. <laughs> and I think you got to ask, like, how's that fucking going? You know? Yeah. Well, and if I could maybe uh, put forward a potentially even more cynical uh reason why they have chosen to raise a stink about this event so i think they might also be engaging in a little bit of culture war politics here and yeah. that it's much like the critical race theory debate which is they said hey here's something that a bunch of normies who aren't you know watching any of this or keeping up with it here's something that's going to sound weird to a bunch of normies yeah. particularly in the mm-hmm. way i'm going to choose to frame it yeah uh so uh let's go ahead and throw it out there right to attack something uh that is bigger than just take black pride which is this idea that they don't want pride to be a political event they want it to be a booster event for local businesses a giant uh you know corporate job fair yeah a black friday for the gay community right you know um they want pride and prime day to merge basically yeah (laughs) which they, they basically do anyway and I think that uh, they are very cynically deploying this event and very cynically portraying elements of this event in such a way as to essentially do a a little bit of culture war, right, for this purpose. Uh, I don't think if it wasn't this event, they'd be complaining about something else. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, it's backfiring on them. Because, so I think yeah, it's, like it's not motivated. going well for them right now. No, <laughs> it's, it's coming from a personal place too, because like yeah. if this was just like pure marketing, like you would be smart enough to stay out of the culture war bullshit. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, this is what this event is about. It's a fucking thing. I mean, they were smart enough to disinvite the cops from marching in the parade that turns out uh, isn't happening anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, it is just a big corporate festival. Well, and you know, worth remembering these same people who uh, disinvited the cops from marching, but told them they still wanted them to come to the event. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a little sidebar to that, but also, uh, you know, Philip Lipson and Charlotte Lefebvre have been running this event for decades they have always invited the cops, yeah. right? So, right. I mean, you know, this is not a change of heart on their part. It's not putting your finger in the wind and reading it. And I think what we're seeing is that there is a... And being, maybe being bitter about it, having yeah. to do that, having to disinvite the cops yeah. publicly, yeah. And, now, and feeling like... I'm trying to find, like, the emotional motivation for lashing out at these people, uh, at, you know, calling for fucking war crimes trials. Because like and that sounds about right to me. Well, here let's 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 learn a little bit about these two. Yeah. So this is from their website, right? They have a little they get a little bio section for themselves, and so let's learn a little bit. Philip Lipson, along with his partner Charlotte Lefebvre, have written a book on the Air Force's first military plane crash in Kelso. Cool. Excuse what? And are that is not a topic, Brian. (laughs) And are referenced researchers in President Obama's history in Seattle as a baby. I honestly can't make heads or tails of any part of that sentence. (laughs) These aren't real things that anyone would care about. What are you fucking talking about? Philip Lipson has worked for the IRS and has helped organize uh, the budgets for many conferences. In 1980, Philip ran for sheriff of Wayne County, Michigan, under the Libertarian Party. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Lucky for the library. That's where he works out. He lost. His slogan was, behave yourself. 
a motto he still lives by today. Holy shit. Or, this guy is a fucking so wannabe cop. I think he is, yeah, he's, you know, he ran for sheriff, but he ran during this, like, time when uh, libertarians had this big idea of, yeah. like, there was this, people forget about it now, but there was this, like, hippie libertarian movement. Fucking, uh... Yeah, uh, uh, fuck, a fucking... Fear and Loathing guy, I don't yeah, know why I'm totally fucking, forgetting his name, but... In, in, uh, Aspen. Yeah. Uh, fucking... Why are we forgetting? Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson, Thompson yeah. ran for mayor of Aspen, Colorado on this same sort of ticket. Yeah, who very, and there was a lot of guys that did this, and it like very much was a thing, and it basically was like... They all lost. Yeah, they all lost, and they're all fucking losers. Uh, but the key word here is libertarian losers. Yeah. Um, And so, just to give an idea, I mean, we talked about this with Kevin a little bit, but like how the, you know, Capitol Pride works is... uh. These two losers are just the heads of this sort of nonprofit, right? Who are willing to be the heads of it and do the, you know, or, you know, the quote unquote organizing work, which means that people just come to them and tell them stuff. Um, they probably in the lead up meetings to this, which, you know, from everybody knows they're participating in them are like hilariously disorganized shit shows, uh, got yelled at a lot about the cops thing and were very mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> and this is sort of a, you know, retribution. But the real thing about this whole event is that it's really run by the Capitol Hill business community. Yeah. Right. And I think that what was interesting about this whole dispute was when people dropped off the event, you know, all of Seattle politics has a mask. Yeah. Right. And when some people dropped out of this event and others stayed, the mask fell away. <laughs> yeah. And I think we got to see what this event is about and I just wanted to give some some little tidbits of this of the political speakers who've decided to stay at the event. Right. Okay. So, yeah, a number of candidates were going to speak at Capitol Hill Pride mm -hmm. as they do every election year and, and, you know, sitting politicians and like 10 of them have canceled. Yeah. Yeah. And four have remained. And let's hear a little. So we have mayoral candidate Jessen Farrell. Net worth of one and a quarter million dollars. <laughs> it lives in a Laurelhurst home worth 1.4 million. And uh, this is from her website, quote, as mayor, I will establish a new standard for successful cities. All right. All right. By making housing more affordable. Oh, sure. And establishing universal birth to five childcare. All right. Whatever. Seattle will attract and keep the most talented workers from chefs to tech to entrepreneurs musicians and artists and right there we already know this is pretty cool because we have the the full uh five categories of the working class right there the, yeah. well the chefs, working class of a successful vibrant city yeah chefs tech workers it's vibrancy bullshit entrepreneurs first off not workers <laughs> <laughs> not even like by their own estimate musicians and artists and Look, anybody who, when they talk about workers, immediately pivots to say musicians and artists. Yeah. What they mean is poor people get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the actual message. Unless you're hot and hip, we'll keep a few, yeah. we'll keep 10 or 12 of you around. Well, unless you are uh, poor is like an ironic career choice yeah. uh, in your 20s and will eventually get your trust funded in your 30s, we don't want to hear it. So we also have Kate Martin, position eight candidate. Uh, owns a Ballard home valued somewhere between $1 million and $5 million. Did not specify. 
this is, by the way, these these valuations and net worth things are from the stranger survey they sent out to the candidates. So this is their self-reporting. From her website, quote, as pressing problems go unsolved and bigger and bigger budgets are consumed, things are actually getting worse. It breaks my heart. This is my town for 42 years. I raised my family here, have my business here, and have worked shoulder to shoulder with fellow volunteers from one end of this city to the other for decades. First, democracy is under attack in our city. Special, special interest power is too great. Let's take it back and realize the district-level democracy we voted for in 2013. Second, there's too little intellectual, political, and professional diversity on the council. The echo chamber doesn't even notice. It's failing. I'll bring debate, debate, professional problem-solving skills, and a focus on proven solutions. I love this because anybody who leads off with the biggest problem in the one of the wealthiest cities uh, on the planet, and in fact in human history, is not enough fiscal responsibility. Yeah. That, my friends, is a fucking Republican. Yeah. <laughs> in any other city is a fucking Republican. And again, this whole thing about special interest power is too great. Some people are saying, yeah, Amazon does have too much power. <laughs> uh, then immediately followed by, uh, we need some more diversity on the council. Not uh, racial, economic, class diversity, but uh, intellectual, like the all, They're all socialists, is yeah. what she's saying. That's she's here to break up Mal's gang of eight. <laughs> get herself on, <laughs> gang of nine, get herself on, right? Um, you know, I mean, just fuck her, sucks. Sarah Nelson, also speaking, position nine candidate, head of Fremont Brewing, self-described progressive small business owner, <laughs> reported net worth $2.3 million, owns a million-dollar home in Green Lake that she bought in 2000 for $227,000. By the way, a perfect example of the Seattle mindset. The accidental millionaire. Yep. Owns a million-dollar home on Camano Island as well. So just a real salt-of-the-earth character. Here's from her website. Just some quotes that I thought were very funny from her website. Quote, Sarah's a policy nerd who watches the Seattle channel for fun. Really? Awful. Shut the fuck up. Awful. Uh, Sarah is a progressive and pragmatic candidate. She leads with the values shared by the vast majority of Seattleites, and she puts them to work on the job. So again, progressive and pragmatic means she's a Republican. Uh, Leads with the values shared by the vast majority of sales. This is literally... Silent majority. This is Richard Nixon's silent majority. She's a Nixonian Republican, basically. I mean, literally, like... Yeah. If you go to the homeless... If you're a progressive Republican today, that's that's like a Nixon Republican. Yeah. And she... uh, on her website, if you go to the platform section and you look at homelessness, which all of these usually just have the most empty platitudes on it, hers mainly is empty platitudes, but when it gets to the header that says what we need to do immediately, it's resume sweeps. So yeah. give you an idea where that's going. And then uh, finally, the last uh, person they're going to have speaking and who is going to do the final uh, sort of speech or whatever, the headliner, if you will, uh, Lance Randall, mayoral candidate. Mm-hmm. So some of you who remember, uh, uh, I believe it was Alicia Ramirez that we had on who brought up, who hipped us to uh, Lance Randall first. Uh, he yeah. was 
the original front runner to be the chamber candidate before Bruce Harrell came in and stole before, his money in Thunder. Before Lance Randall like arrived like such a a wet shit, just like <laughs> just a flopped up like a dead fish on the pier. Uh, and ever and everyone scrambled at the chamber, and you know the calls were made, and Bruce Harrell was drafted. Yeah, it's funny when you look at the slog articles and the South Seattle Emerald articles about Bruce Harrell announcing. They all have a, a at least a sentence dedicated to uh, you know prior to this, Lance Randall was looking like he might be the you know preferred candidate of like the chamber. But they've all moved to Bruce Harrell. Like, yeah. I mean, a real endorsement right there. But here's from his website. Quote, for the past 14 years, Lance has been working on the ground to recruit, retain, and expand businesses in Seattle. He has led coalitions comprised of people from government, nonprofit organizations, educational institutions, and financial institutions to the needs of all businesses and neighborhoods across the city, enabling them to be successful while operating in Seattle. So he literally... His, his blurb about himself, his like little elevator speech of who I am is, what I do is I funnel the resources of organizations around the city to business so that they can have more and everybody else can have just a little less. <laughs> Elect me for mayor. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so these are the freaks that fucking are actually going to be at Capitol Hill Pride. Um, yeah, it's look, it's a diseased institution. Don't go. Yeah, stay away. You weren't going to go anyway, but just stay the fuck away. Yeah, the shit sucks. And like I said, it's just a it's just a booster fucking org for small businesses on the hill. Um, it sucks. It sucks. And their real complaint about take black pride, even though I'm sure that uh, Mr. Lipton and Miss Lefebvre are probably fucking racist and all this shit. I'm sure that that's actually part of their personal being, whatever. But their actual complaint, what they've actually been trying to stomp out for a long time now, is any semblance of politics inside Pride. Because there's no room for politics at an Amazon fire sale. Yeah. That's the actual answer. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff to do for Pride if you want to get out with people. Um, I mean, you know, we're not a, like, what to do uh, blog. But, you know, this Take Black Pride event, uh, is one of them. It's going to be at Jimi Hendrix Park. Um, yeah, again, like the 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 sort of liberal case they're making against it for anyone who starts to take it seriously is basically like they're contravening the the post civil rights order. And I think like I would just stress that that was always bullshit and is now being revealed completely to be. A joke. I mean, like, because they're the organizers of this event are using this reparations frame and doing something that sounds radical to people because it exists outside of this post civil rights framework, right? Yeah. And I think the response to that to a liberal who is uncomfortable with that is like, look, this civil the the compromises the moderate liberal compromises of the civil rights era. Well, it didn't work. They like, you know, black America has gained no wealth or power over that course of the time. They're, you know, still regularly executed on the street without trial by America's law enforcement. And the fucking Voting Rights Act was gutted uh, yeah. to where and now, like, you know, states are closing polling places and, and passing new like Jim Crow 2.0 fucking 
uh, voter suppression laws. So like that shit's bullshit. So yeah, these people are doing something radical and different. And so who knows? I may choose to go uh, celebrate pride that way because it sounds like they're pretty cool. You know, if you are, I don't know if I, maybe this doesn't need to be said. I don't want to make up a guy, but this does have (laughs) my like guy dar going off a bit. So I'm, I'm just thinking like, if you are yourself like a, so a white socialist beardo, anybody, uh, and you're thinking to yourself, well, gosh, uh, I don't know, even charging a suggested donation from white allies, you know, is bound to raise some hackles or, golly does this mean they're gonna measure my skull if i go or (laughs) gee whiz uh i don't think this is how to introduce the idea of reparations to the working class (laughs) or even uh do we really want to lay the foundation for the coming revolution on the basis of racial division if any of that is crossing your mind i would just like ask you to take a deep breath and remember that you live in a fucking disgusting white supremacist hellhole called America from which there is no escape. Uh, and if black, queer, trans people want to hold an event that makes a safe space for them to celebrate, uh, then I think like finding a way to uh, pay for that event without charging those people is a cool thing to do. And the ref- the rhetorical frame of reparations is as good as anything. And I would say, take the symbolism as it's intended and don't overthink it. Yeah. And I think to, you know, keep in mind that there is no inherent politics to events like pride and stuff like that. Yeah. Left on their own, they will just become fire sales. They will just become engines for moving product in capitalism because that's what everything in capitalism gets turned into and you know it does take people choosing to go out and make these events political to make them uh something more than just a street fair for buying hot dogs and shit and uh you know uh look if you're some uh yeah if, the, if this offends your sensibilities because you attached you know you checked your scrying stones and, and decided that uh, Lennon doesn't like this or something uh you can do political events too man yeah <laughs> like honestly we need more political events yeah that's again, fine calm the fuck down here. like yeah the revolution's not happening tomorrow calm the fuck down <laughs> you can do political events too Eyes on the prize, guys. Eyes yeah. on the prize. Yeah, but like for myself, I <laughs> yeah. if I can be dragged out yeah. of my house, I might, I might go to this event because this sounds like someone doing radical politics that I can appreciate for pride. Yeah, and those might be the people I want to hang out or or hear from. You yeah, know? yeah, right on. So, what are you what are you guys doing for pride? Munio, are you doing something? You what's going on in New York? He's asleep, man. obviously um okay well yeah that's the pride update uh more of the same and with that we are finished so if you haven't already go listen to last last weekend's uh fifth installment of the seven part series on bill and melinda gates called the joy of child labor and um be on the lookout for the sixth installment this weekend. 
Yeah, uh, the fifth installment coming out uh, in celebration of the, of the Supreme Court of uh, Fathers <laughs> and the Supreme Court's bold yeah. decision to uphold child slavery. Asterix when corporations do it. Now, also, uh, I know I announced this several weeks ago, but it actually has finally come out on the podcast of mystery. You can hear me oh, yeah. finally oh, reveal. The secret of the great cosmic war. It's so, very cool. So I, I listen listened to this the other day. It's a really great uh, conversation um, where a, a rambling, insane man traps the poor host of a podcast um, <laughs> uh, for like what feels like two and a half hours of disconnected, disjointed, like, uh, like, cha- like, uh, sort of like religious chanting. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Brian, we looked into the face of the crawling chaos, though, in the end. I think yeah, we can all agree. I think you did. Um, I think I said this on Twitter already, but I, I, I think you should all listen. And I think we should get the funds together to lobotomize Brian to relieve <laughs> the pressure on his uh, brain pan because got, there's got too much. Out. There's too much shit in that brain. <laughs> gotta gotta get it out. <laughs> Need to relieve some gray matter. Yeah, there's, there's, it's a wide ranging talk about aliens, conspiracy theories, uh, and uh, just general goofiness. So check it out. Check it out. We'll put a link. Check it out. All right, and if you haven't joined the Patreon, you should go check that out because we have another episode coming out this week that you can only hear if you give us five of your dollars. Um, and lots of other episodes from the past. So go take a look, and we'll catch you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Night, Munya. Night, Munya. <laughs> it's pretty late, bro.